This week's episode is brought to you by Bureau Veritas. At Bureau Veritas, each and every member of the team is by your side to help you navigate your decarbonization journey. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to look at the rise and risks of increased shipping in the Arctic. For many, climate change is seen as a catastrophe, a slow-moving train wreck at a global scale that we humans have brought on ourselves. But for others, it's an opportunity. Melting sea ice is opening new trade routes, and ships are increasingly plying them. That's been going on for some time, but in recent weeks and months, we've seen a turning point. Russia started sending ships through its northern sea route that are not ice-class vessels, those that are strengthened to handle the powerful forces of sea ice. And that's just one of the many recent milestones on this route that snakes its way along Russia's Arctic coast. This is Sean Pryor, lead advisor for the Clean Arctic Alliance, a coalition of some 20 groups campaigning to reduce the impacts of shipping in the region. In the last few years now, we've seen an increase in the amount of time shipping is transversing the northern sea route. Um, So it's starting earlier in the season, it's finishing later in the season. Some ships have even been going throughout the whole of the winter months and into spring. And now we're seeing not only the extended length of sailing on the Northern Sea Route, but now these new ships coming in as Russia is looking to extend the the numbers of ships going to the east because of sanctions in the west um, and finding that there aren't sufficient Uh, modern ships and so are are buying up, as we understand, older and older ships for these routes. And while Moscow sees an opportunity in using the Northern Sea Route, opening those waters up to more ships and a wider variety of ships that include older vessels that don't meet ice-class standards, also has environmental risks. So today, we're going to explore those risks one by one. The first one is black carbon. And this one is particularly vexing because while climate change brings more ships, ships bring more black carbon also known as soot. Not only does it warm the atmosphere as other climate pollutants do, but as it deposits out onto snow and ice surfaces, it speeds up the melting of the snow and ice. And then that exposes darker areas, which reduce the reflective capability of the ice caps. And then of course, those areas being darker start absorbing more heat. So the impact when it's released in and near to the Arctic is is significantly more than when released elsewhere. Um, And for many years now, it's been recognized as being a particular problem and many sectors have been reducing their emissions and actually a lot are on track to meet a target that was set some years ago by the Arctic Council in 2025. And they should have reduced their emissions by nearly a third by 2025. And hopefully they are on track to do that. So black carbon helps melt the ice, which lets in the ships, and then the ships bring more black carbon. And while some sectors are doing more to reduce black carbon emissions, Shipping in the Arctic is going in the opposite direction. Pryor told me that between 2015 and 2021, black carbon emissions have doubled in or near the Arctic. Regulators at the International Maritime Organization have been working on black carbon emissions, but it hasn't received the focus that CO2 or increasingly methane emissions have had at the UN body. And one key solution to the black carbon emissions is widely available, switching from heavy fuel oil to cleaner, but more expensive, distillate fuels. The IMO has adopted a ban on heavy fuel oil in the Arctic starting in 2024, but exemptions and waivers mean that it won't come into full force until 2029. Environmental groups want regulations that specifically address black carbon, 
but it's likely that those will come as guidelines before any additional mandatory measures come into play. Black carbon is on the agenda at the IMO, and unfortunately it's been on the agenda for quite a long time, over a decade now, um, but it's not going anywhere fast. Uh, Things are moving um, very, very slowly. There's still no regulation of black carbon emissions from ships, which in this day and age is a travesty. There are guidelines under development, um, and that work hopefully will be completed next year, but they will only be guidelines. So inevitably, with guidelines, we find that some the more responsible shipping companies will follow them, uh, but the less responsible ones probably won't. And so you end up with an uneven playing field, which isn't helpful either. Um, so, you know, we, we, we know we're going to have to go down the road of getting the guidelines in place before people will consider uh, mandatory measures. But what we would like to see is mandatory measures being developed alongside the guidelines, because inevitably it will take two or three years of, of discussion and negotiation and approval and adoption to get those in place. And we can't wait that long. We've got to start reducing black carbon emissions before the end of this decade. Um, we're completely um, stuffed if we don't. Sorry, that's not a very good expression. But you know, the ice scientists are telling us that the ice is retreating dramatically and that by the middle of next decade, so by the mid-2030s, we could start seeing the first summer days with no sea ice. Um, unless we start reducing both CO2 emissions and especially black carbon emissions really, really rapidly. In the absence of faster progress at the IMO, Pryor said Brussels should step in to do more. Another risk of increased shipping in the Arctic is oil spills, either from tankers or from other ships that carry thousands of tons of thick, dirty, heavy fuel oil. Arctic regions don't have the emergency response capabilities that might be found on more populous coastlines. These are really remote areas that aren't the uh, people capability or the facilities that are needed to respond to an oil spill in close proximity. There's nowhere to put the oil if you do manage to clean some of it up. And so there is just none of the infrastructure that's necessary to be able to do a good response to an oil spill. And their ecosystems may be fragile, and local communities rely on those ecosystems. A few years ago, the IMO did adopt what's called the Polar Code, a set of rules designed to regulate shipping in Arctic regions. But Pryor is among experts who believe that those rules are ripe for strengthening. And, she said existing provisions of the law need to be fully implemented. I don't think there is an easy solution because we can't stop shipping on the Northern Sea Route and we can't stop shipping on the other Arctic routes either. The Northern Sea Route is the busiest route, obviously. But what we do need to do is to make sure that the regulations that are in place are fit for purpose in the Arctic. We need to make sure that the Polar Code really is doing its job. Um, I think there are a number of areas where it could be strengthened at the moment. There was a recent scientific paper uh, that was looking at the different risks that you face when shipping in Arctic waters. And the Polar Code responds to some of those risks very well, but it doesn't respond, it doesn't cover all of the risks. Oil spills are just one way that increased shipping in the Arctic presents risks to biodiversity. Margaret Williams is a senior fellow with the Arctic Initiative at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. And though she's originally from New England and is living there again, she says her heart is in Alaska. She listed several concerns about increased Arctic shipping, powerful storms like the remnants of Typhoon Murbach that slammed coastal communities on the Bering Strait last year are one safety risk for shipping. And the ice that remains in the Arctic is unpredictable. So much of the Arctic has yet to be charted navigationally. So there are a lot of questions about areas that are safe for, for vessels to travel. 
And um, when you combine that with unpredictable sea ice, the likelihood of uh, severe weather systems and areas of high biodiversity, that's uh, that's a recipe for potential significant environmental risk to these special places. There are risks of groundings or collisions, which could lead to oil spills, and ships could hit sensitive marine mammals like whales. There are many coastal communities in this region, in the Bering Strait region and along the northern coast of Russia and Alaska, which depend on marine life for their livelihood and for their cultural identity. And these species are moving at a time when the ships are traveling through the Bering Strait. For example, in the spring, there's a massive migration of bowhead whales. More than 10,000 bowhead whales are moving north from the Bering Strait into the Arctic, toward the Canadian Arctic. And in the fall, the general pattern of these bowheads is that they hug the Russian coast, the western Bering Strait, um, coming south back into the Bering Sea. So that's just one species. But um, there was just an article today about how humpback whales are increasingly showing up in the Arctic. And there are gray whales traveling from Mexico to the Arctic. And there are beluga whales and there are polar bears and walruses. It's just such a lively place, full of life at um, the time when ship traffic is transiting the Bering Strait. And then there's the problem with two other forms of pollution, noise and light. Without shipping, Arctic seas are quiet and marine mammals depend on the ability to communicate underwater. And when it's dark, it's dark. And more ships are transiting during those dark periods. The lights on those ships risk becoming an attractive nuisance for birds. The Arctic is becoming a much noisier place as ship traffic and other industrial activities have increased in the in the area. So noise, um, various types of pollution, disturbance, just physical disturbance of traversing the ice, getting close, close to the coast, close to islands, and lights. That's an area that hasn't really gotten a lot of attention, but now that the Bering Strait and other areas in the Arctic are traversable during uh, the darker months, the use of lights on board can be a problem for seabirds. Lights can attract birds, which get come onto these decks, sometimes in very large numbers, decks of ships, and become confused and sometimes just just die there. They, they can't figure out what to do and they um, just crash on board these vessels on decks. So that's an increasing concern as well. Williams believes that one tool that could be used to protect marine life from ships in the Arctic could be the creation of what are known as areas to be avoided. She pointed to the Diomedes, islands in the Bering Strait that are divided by the maritime border between Russia and the United States. On Little Diomede, on the U.S. side, the population is dependent on marine mammals and would be vulnerable to a shipping incident. While talks were underway to create an area to be avoided that protects the two islands, geopolitics got in the way after Moscow invaded Ukraine. Williams said speed limits are also a way to prevent collisions with marine life. When it comes to underwater noise, the IMO has adopted global guidelines to reduce sound pollution from shipping, but the Clean Arctic Alliance wants to see mandatory rules. And one of those things that could be made mandatory, I think quite simply, would be the requirement to produce a noise development plan, which would then require each ship to just look at all of its operations to determine where noise is coming from. The biggest source of noise tends to be the propeller, to look at uh, what measures could be put in place to reduce the, the level of noise coming from propeller movement or from other sources on board the ship as well. And there are some quite simple solutions. There are some very complex solutions as well, but there are some quite simple ones like slowing down in certain areas or slowing down across, well, areas where you're likely to see cetaceans. 
but also just better maintenance of propellers, keeping them clean when the ship when the ship's hull is being cleaned, making sure the propellers are cleaned regularly and routinely will reduce the amount of noise considerably. So there are some easy things that could be done quite quickly. Without mandatory rules for many of these environmental risks of increased traffic in the Arctic, shipping companies can still act on their own, and some do. A vessel operated by Pangea Logistics Solutions recently became the first to receive a silent class notation from DNV for one of its ships that operates in the Arctic, protecting whales from noise pollution. The cruise industry has, for the most part, voluntarily given up heavy fuel oil for ships in the Arctic. We'll tell you when we hear of more. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. South Korean shipbuilding giant HD Hyundai has invested 45 million euros in Elkogen, the Estonian firm makes hydrogen fuel cells and electrolyzers that produce green hydrogen. Hyundai chief executive Kee Chung said the company plans to collaborate with Elkogen to focus on marine propulsion systems and on producing green fuels. Read this story and more at tradewindsnews.com. The Green Seas newsletter explored green shipping corridors, the routes that could serve as the front line of decarbonizing shipping. The Global Maritime Forum said these corridors are in their make-or-break moment when governments need to act to narrow the price gap between expensive green fuels and cheap fossil fuels. Get the newsletter in your inbox at tinyurl.com greenseas. In the waters off the UK, the world's largest offshore wind farm is producing its first electricity, our colleagues at Recharge reported. The Dogger Bank project startup is a watershed moment for the project developers, and it represents an important moment for GE Vernova as its Haliad X turbines make their debut. Read about it at rechargenews.com. Music for this episode is by Crystal Squad from Toontank.